delivering all the news, the informed views, and just telling great motorsport stories since 2003. Powered by the Racetalk.com. This is on the grid. G'day, everyone. Welcome to another episode of On the Grid, powered by the Racetalk.com here on my podcast house or the Radio Show Limited Network of Channels. Very nice to have your company. Richard Crowell with you this week. Tony Shebeki is away on business. And by that, I mean he's gone on holiday with his lovely wife. So I'm in the big chair this week. And for no reason other than I can and I have the power, we've got something of a Porsche theme happening for you in this week's show. The big news, of course, is that our own Matt Campbell will join the Porsche Penske Motorsport prototype program in the brand new 963 racer from next year. It's a remarkable achievement for the young bloke from Warwick who's risen through the ranks in Australia and made it to the very top of global sports car racing. Very shortly, you'll hear from Matty in his first Australian media appearance since the news broke. After that, we're going to chat to Cameron McConville, the former supercars racer, who's the new head of Porsche Centre Melbourne's motorsport program and was the local Porsche motorsport boss when Matt burst onto the scene in 2014. We also talk a bit about his return to racing in the Touring Car Masters driving a Chevy Camaro. It's a good chat. Then it's current Carrera Cup Championship leader Harry Jones, an impressive young man going places quickly and, just possibly, following in Matty's footsteps. I promise you, you will learn things from this insightful chat. Speaking of, Matty Campbell, here's the man himself, speaking to a group of Aussie journos in a media call on Tuesday morning Australian time. In fact, not that long after he scored another podium in the Watkins Glen IMSA six-hour race. This is On The Grid. Hope you enjoy the show. Right now, here's Matt Campbell reflecting on his remarkable rise to factory Porsche prototype driver. Yeah, it's quite uh, quite surreal. I think it really hit me when, when we went live with the announcement because I've known for about a year or, or so that, uh, you know, I'll be involved in the in the program. And, uh, yeah, it's surreal, you know, sort of reaching the, the pinnacle of the, the Porsche Motorsport Pyramid, you know, reaching your top, which was all our, always our goal. And, uh, you know, sort of the last box to, to tick, you know, with myself and uh, my, my supporters and my company, MCR, I mean... Uh, you know, we've been fortunate enough to tick every box along the way. You know, winning Crow Cup Australia number one, winning the Porsche Junior Program shootout, moving over, doing Super Cup, moving on from that, you know, professional program, Porsche factory driver, and now this. You know, it's uh, it's real. It's what I always looked up and, and aimed to do uh, from the moment I joined Porsche, obviously, at the time, but I was still an LEP1. And then that all sort of ended, and, and now this. So, uh, you know, surreal to be able to finally be in this position and uh, get a full-time factory gig uh, in a factory car. So uh, very exciting and, uh, yeah, nice, um, I suppose, progression. And, and it really pays off, you know, for everyone that's been involved in my journey. So very, very special for, for all those involved. Yeah, um, I think it was late uh, 2020 uh, that we, we found out that Porsche was obviously moving into LMDH at the time. Uh, was not really understood that it was going to be with Penske or, or anything like that. Um, but, yeah, found out and, you know, obviously started asking a fair few questions. Um, you know, I felt like I was ready at the time and and wanted to progress on to better, bigger and better things. You know, obviously being with the, the young professional program and early stages of a factory driver, you know, you're doing a lot of customer-based stuff. So, 
you know, always wanted to, to have a full-time factory seat and, uh, you know, with such opportunity presenting itself and always wanting to go down that path in the future, really started to, uh, yeah, ask as many questions and, and see what was possible from the from the first sort of stages when, when all us drivers found out. But I think it's uh, really, really cool that, you know, Porsche have uh, put a put their trust in a couple of young guys like me and myself. Oh, sorry, me and, and Matthew, I should say. Um for the future, you know, uh, which is very, very cool. And it was around, um, I would say, maybe May uh, of last year that, um, let's say, you heard some rumours and, and started talking to a few people. And it was just after that where Pascal Sunderland at that time, uh, who was still at Porsche, spoke to me and Mature and about the possibility of, of something like this coming together and happening. And, you know, obviously, then after that stage, uh, the talks got very, very serious pretty quickly and uh, all progressed from there. So, um, I think me and Mature were actually one of the first to, to more or less be a part of the program and uh, signed sealed, so very, very special for, for that. I would say that the progression uh, from the GT side um, to the LMDH side, at least on circuits I've driven so far, has actually been uh, a little bit smaller than expected, which has been a good thing. You know, obviously these cars are actually quite a lot heavier than, than the former class of LMP1. Um, so, you know, obviously a lot more downforce, but, you know, in saying that with the weight, you can definitely feel it. Uh, and I think it's made that step a, a little bit easier. Um, I've had the, the fortunate enough um, time last year to be able to have a test in an Olympic 2 car with Penske. Uh, Indianapolis, uh, I think it was late October last year or something like that. Uh, and that was just a really good opportunity to be able to get a, a bit of seat time in a, in a prototype and, and experience for the first time in such a car and, you know, I was not worried before going in or, or, or anything like that, but certainly, um, you know, I was quite open-minded at how different it was going to be and then saying that I think the progression from the GT to the to the prototype is a little bit smaller than expected, which has been a, a really, really nice thing. So, uh, yeah, but really, really cool. Obviously, a lot more downforce than what I'm used to, a lot more grunt. You know, the thing is uh, pretty quick in the straight line. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely been in the car and been testing. I mean, it's still pretty raw and everything like that. Still a lot of work to do, but uh, yeah, been in the car a couple of times now. I still need a lot more miles, uh, that's for sure, but uh, feeling comfortable already. Um, and now the testing will start to switch over to, to US as well. So uh, yeah, we've sort of only got a couple more tests to go in, in Europe before the, the majority of testing now moves over to, uh, to US. So uh, yeah. Much more miles to come in the car, which is really important. Um, you know, obviously for us, there's a lot of us drivers that don't have much prototype experience. So the next uh, six months will be really critical for the finalising car development and also just getting comfortable in the car and getting used to all the systems and that sort of thing. You know, for, for me, I, I prefer to have the the seat in IMSA, um, you know, especially with Mature, because um, there's only two drivers in IMSA compared to three in, in WEC. And me and Matthew have done everything in the last two or three years. So for me, our, our relationship and, and partnership in the car is really, really strong. And also I love the, the racing and style in, in US. You know, it's proper old school, similar to what I, I know from home in, in Australia. So uh, I prefer that. You know, I've been in WEC for around four years and since I more or less joined Porsche uh, after the Young Professional Program and really enjoyed it. But uh, I must say I'm really loving the, the US style and, and racing over here. You know, obviously there's been quite a few key people who have been there from the from the beginning, who uh, I've talked to throughout this whole process, and uh, you know, especially my family, and, and like you said, like people like Andy McRae and, 
and Grant Sparks and, and so forth. And, uh, you know, then finally uh, speaking to everyone who's been involved uh, since the beginning um, and, and own units within the company. And, you know, it's quite surreal that, um, you know, I think it was around oh, late 2014, we were sat in a, in a cafe in Brisbane uh, writing down the details of how we were going to do this on the napkin and and what we wanted to try and achieve, and, and now we've been able to tick off every one of those boxes. So uh, a lot's happened since then, and it's uh, very, very special. Um, you know, if it wasn't for all those people, uh, I wouldn't be in such a position. I'd probably still be a builder in, in my hometown of Warwick. So uh, a lot's happened in, in sort of the last six or so years. Very, very grateful for, for what they've been able to do for me. You're listening to the latest from around the motorsport world. On the grid. Well, they were comments from Matt Campbell speaking to an assorted group of Australian motorsport media earlier this week following the announcement that he will join the Porsche Penske Motorsport Le Mans program in the brand new Porsche 963, which is fantastic news. As we said at the top of the show, a bit of a Porsche theme this week and delighted to say that a man that was actually in charge of Porsche Motorsport Australia when Matt first appeared on the scene and he's now at the helm of Porsche Centre Melbourne's motorsport program joins us on the show Cameron McConville welcome to On The Grid. Yeah good to be here thanks for having me Krause. Pleasure mate um first things first I suppose some reaction on the Matt Campbell news it's it's the talk of the town it's fantastic news for our sport and those of us that have followed the Matt Campbell journey we were both there when he emerged onto the scene as a quietly spoken uh, 17 year old in sprint challenge in 2014 driving a, a class b car for andy McElroy. what are your early sort of recollections of matt coming into that championship back then yeah it's um pleasant memories actually because he was a sort of goofy and shy kid and um as you mentioned i was motorsport manager uh for pca and jody zilstra introduced me to him for the first time at morgan park that year um and he was super shy and i thought well he's going to have to build some confidence to be able to hold his own and you know talk to potential sponsors and and look straight away i'd heard about what he was doing in a formula ford and also an old holden i think which was his grandfather's some sort of old um you know touring car or something he was driving around at morgan park so i could see straight away that the kid had massive talent however i could see that he wasn't from money so I had my doubts whether he would make it, to be perfectly honest. And I just thought about this um, over the weekend when the news came out myself. I thought, well, I didn't think he'd get past a year or so in Cup Challenge. Um, and, you know, even though he's opposition to what I do at the moment, kudos to Andy McElroy for, for getting a group of investors and supporters around him that, that backed him right from the start, you know. And I feel fortunate that I shared a racetrack with him at Suzuka when he was a factory driver a couple of years ago when I was uh, racing in that 10 hour. Um, and he went past me like I was going backwards. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, look, I, I, as I say, I doubted he'd make it, but I'm really delighted that he has. It's almost like it's become a bit of a, uh, not a role model, but a, a, a template, I suppose, for young drivers coming up through the ranks when that, that would relate to your current role at, at Porsche Centre Melbourne. If you're, you get a young driver coming through you guys that you go, well, that's the model to follow because tick, it worked. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, we actually have identified that internally. It's interesting you say that. And we've been discussing it about, you know, bringing a young kid through potentially out of karting or Formula Ford into the Michelin Sprint Challenge and then Carrera Cup because we are a factory dealership and it'd be nice 
to see someone go through the pyramid that's had a connection to um, you know to the Porsche brand or, or through the dealer network, I guess. You know, so that would be fantastic. But look, you know, Andy's very good at that. You know, he did it with Jackson Evans, who I raced Carrera Cup against. But um, you know, Matt's Matt's one of our our own. He's an Aussie, and what I like about him is that. Um, I remember talking to him at Suzuka and he had plenty of time to talk to us as fellow Aussies. So he's a great ambassador. You know, I see him as a junior Mark Webber. He's quite corporate now, so he's come a long way and um, there's been no doubting his ability. So it's nice to see. Does it make your job easier in a way in, in selling what you're selling at Porsche Centre Melbourne Motorsport, especially for the younger driver aspect to go, this is a model that works. You know, you can sell an open wheel dream or you could sell a, a touring car dream, but this is actually a, a program that functionally has proved very, very successful. Yeah, I think Porsche have known that the pyramid and the program works internationally anyway in Europe, but, but it hasn't really been at the forefront here in Australia until Matt went through, mm. but then Jackson has repeated it. Um, well, certainly on his way up, you know, he's in, he, he's, he's a, a junior factory driver or what have you. Um, then, then you've got um, Jordan Love, who's gone to, to Europe. Uh, he's now in GT racing, but raced in Super Cup. And then Aaron Love now doing French Carrera Cup. So I think, you know, for a Porsche Australia perspective, yes. Um, and now from, from our dealership, who, you know, we've got our own workshop here. We've got 15 cars out there in the workshop and I'd love to have a young guy in it. So, you know, I think, the proof is in the pudding. You've got to find the talent. Um, but as I say, Andy has been very good in getting the backing around the young drivers. And that's something that we have to work on as well. Let's talk about your new role, Cam, because uh, it was a, a cool announcement at the start of the year that you've joined the PCM family. And it's a great race team with really good people and a lot of great history as well and, and success in Carrera Cup. So just tell us about your role and what it entails. Yeah, so I'm working alongside Carl Batson. I mean, everyone knows Carl. He's been here for over 30 years at Porsche Centre Melbourne when it was back in Church Street. But my role is not so much on the cars. I guess I'm working on the business as such uh, on the commercial side. You know, I, I guess I am the first point of contact to new customers coming in and our existing Carrera Cup guys, whilst Carl, Carl manages the the day-to-day -day runnings of the workshop and the, and the crew out there on the floor. So um, it's exciting because we've got a brand new facility here. As I said, we've got five or six uh, hoists out there. Um, we're still catering for the track day customer. So I guess we're trying to mimic the Porsche pyramid from Porsche club days where uh, car owners will come in and want a track alignment or, or track aspect tyres fitted through to Sprint Challenge and, and up into Carrera Cup. So hopefully we'll, we'll have three cars in Sprint Challenge next year. We've just got the one at the moment and of course our three Carrera Cup customers. So I guess on the race week, so during the week, I'm, I'm working on the commercial side of the business. And then on the race weekends, I, I double up as a bit of a driver coach for our guys as well. So really enjoying it. And um, hopefully next year, you know, I think we'll expand and really hit our straps. One of the highlights this year, Cam, has been the performance of Matt Belford in Carrera Cup. And you speak of the Porsche pyramid and how it works for young drivers, but it's the same for the Pro-Am or the AM drivers that they can start with the, the track days and go to Sprint Challenge and Carrera Cup, which is exactly what Matty's done. And in five years, he's gone from having only a passing interest in Porsche motorsport, in motorsport full stop, to becoming a round winner in Carrera Cup in what is the most competitive Pro-Am field we've ever seen. It's a cool yeah. story. 
Yeah, we had a debrief here during the week, um, you know, with Mark Sini and Nick. And, and you know, the depth of the field this year, like the bar has lifted, you know, mm. at both ends of the grid or right through the field. Um, and, you know, Matt, his, his brother, Dave, is a, is a Porsche nut. He restores cars. He got him into it. He, he basically went through the Porsche driving school, the Porsche Sport Driving School at Mount Cotton, did the Level 5 program in the Carrera Cup car, bought a 991, went Cup Challenge Racing, uh, with us, with PCM, so connected with Carl Batson early on, and then won the last round, I believe, and uh, this year stepped up into Cup Car and said, oh, I'll just make it a learning year, and got pole uh, in Pro-Am and won the round at Winton. So, yeah, look, he's he's got a lot of talent of looking at his data and his vision. He actually drives the car very similar to Nick, and he was less than a second off Nick's time at Darwin at a track he's never been to. So there's a lot more uh, growth and time coming, I think, as the season goes on for Matt. You've raced in it. You've run the championship as an administrator, and now you've got the team cap on. Tell me about Carrera Cup this year, because you mentioned how fiercely competitive it is, and I, I could rattle off numbers until I'm blue in the face and still not get the point across, but Darwin, we had 23 cars covered by a second. We've had three different round winners in both Pro and Pro-Am. Six different teams have won those Pro and Pro-Am rounds. I mean, it is you'd make an argument that it's the most competitive championship on Australian soil at the moment. Oh, without a doubt. And and all biases aside, you just look at the timesheet. You know, Nick was saying after qualifying in Darwin, he was eighth. But if he was on the wrong side of one-tenth, mm. like I think it was a 7.60, if it was a 7.69, it was 100, it would have been 14th. So one-tenth one was six grid spots. So it's very similar to the supercars now. And, you know, here's an example where he had a little error going into turn five and spun and ended up back at 16th. And that's where he was the next three races, although he had the second fastest time in the last race of the race. So we were tuning the car, but unfortunately you race where you qualify. So, um, you know, it, the, the person that wins a championship this year will be the one that makes the least mistakes under pressure. And that's what happens in supercars. You know, you see Will Davison's always there up the, up the pointy end um, because, you know, he, keeps his nose clean. And I think David Wall is the example of that in Carrera Cup. He doesn't win a lot of rounds, but he's always there because he's super consistent. So I'm actually glad I'm not competing crazy this year because, um, <laughs> you know, I think I was running sixth or fifth in the championship the last year. I, I, I ran it 2017 mm. and it's just got, you know, I think the bars raised another 50 to 75%. So you can be on a good day. Like we're, we're always aiming to be on pole and be at the front, but you can also be 12th or 13th at the, you know, blink of an eye. So um, we're hopeful we're um, on top of our game in Townsville next weekend. Yeah. And that round traditionally even closer than Darwin from a lap time point of view and always produces some wild racing. Uh, Now, speaking of wild racing, you haven't hung up the helmet yet because at Sydney Motorsport Park, Oh, what, six weeks ago, we saw you back behind the wheel, but it wasn't in a cup car. It was in a Chevy Camaro in Touring Car Masters. Firstly, it was cool to see you back on the racetrack. Thanks, Secondly, mate. how did you enjoy yourself in TCM? It looked like you had a fun weekend. Yeah, I loved it, mate. I loved it. I can't wait to get back in it. Um, you know, I haven't driven for 12 hours prior to cup, so it had been a while. I hadn't sat in the car. I mean, all the I guess I did it the way I tell people not to do it, um, <laughs> and it was just the way the deal came together. We couldn't get the car stickered up, and it sat here for two weeks. Anyway, I didn't get a test day in it, um, but, uh, yeah, really enjoyed it. So, you know, thanks to Ian, uh, Ian Woodbury for letting me jump into the Camaro um, ACM. Auto Parts came on board with some sponsorship, which has made it all possible. 
So I, funny thing, I said, oh, there's heaps of time between now and uh, the next round, or sorry, Sydney, and the next round to do a test day. And here we are, and I haven't tested because <laughs> I've been that busy. Um, but we've, we've made some little tune-ups to the car, I think, and uh, so I'm hoping I'm a bit more competitive at the next round. But just doing it for fun, mate. Love racing. And uh, they really are wild cars, 700 horsepower with a 15-inch tyre. Um, in fact, I drove, I jumped back into a cup car last Friday we were handing over a 991 to a new customer and he asked if I'd warm it up and it was blinding rain at Winton and it had so much more grip than the Camaro in the rain. <laughs> I thought, how good is this? So yeah, they're, they're, um, they're not easy to drive, but um, they're a lot of fun. So yeah, it's been, it's been good so far. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it was John Bow who sort of helped introduce you with Woody who owns the car and to bring you into the fold. Yeah, Bowie obviously thought I wouldn't be that competitive because he was keen to get me in there. Probably knew he'd dust me. But um, no, look, JB and I are good mates and we've kept in touch even when I was in Queensland last year. And uh, he rang me prior to Christmas and he rang me again in February and and uh, said, here, give Woody a call. And um, yeah, he was open to, to running the car again. I wanted to see the car on the grid. But yeah, JB certainly brokered the deal. Um, and now I'm trying to tap into him for as much inform- information on setup as, as I can. In fact, we're pitted up next to each other, but uh, haven't had a lot of time because we were running a car at Sprint Challenge, and, of course, Carrera Cup I'll be focused on in Townsville, so it'll be out of the truck, throw the helmet on, do some laps, and back into our Porsche truck on the weekend as well. But anyway, it's still nice to be racing something again. Uh, it's good to see you back on the track, mate. Hey, thanks for joining us, Cam. Really appreciate your time. Best of luck for... Porsche Centre Melbourne team up in Townsville. It's going to be a, uh, a an amazing round, I'm sure. It'll be fiercely competitive. Uh, we're missing our mate Tony Shebecki this week. He's having a week off. He asked me to mention something about Richmond, but I, I just decided I'm just not going to talk about that this week. Well, yeah. we. Oh, look, I'm, I'm still a bit flat from the Geelong game, mate. But um, <laughs> tell Shebecks I'm going this Sunday, so I'm hopeful of hearing the voice of the G back. He better oh, be back from Sydney. I'm sure he will be. Cam McCobble, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Thank you, mate. There's Cameron McConville joining us on The Grid. There's more great motorsport stories coming next on The Grid. You're listening to the On The Grid podcast on mypodcasthouse.com or the Radio Show Limited network of channels. Time to welcome Mark Walker to the show from theracetalk.com. Hello, Mark. Hi, Richard Crail. Uh, good to be here. Big weekend. No rate, no real local racing coming up, but still plenty of news happening, which is good to see. Dominated by the topic we've already been talking about throughout the course of the show. We heard about Matt Campbell at the start. We heard from the man himself, and we've since heard from Cameron McConville giving his perspective as the motorsport boss who was running Porsche Motorsport when Matt emerged into Sprint Challenge in 2014. Now I think it's time we get the perspective of a guy who's in the system right now. And what a system he's got running because he is the current leader of the Porsche Painter Dixon Carrera Cup Australia Championship. I'm talking about the driver of the number 12 Hastings Deering's cat Porsche for McElroy Racing, Harry Jones. Welcome to the show, mate. Thanks, Drowsy. Really happy to be here. Uh, you are having a remarkable season, my friend. You have won four of the last seven races. You were second in the other three. You've got a chunky lead in the championship going into the halfway point at Townsville. Uh, this is all going rather nicely for you so far, mate. Yeah, I'm having a ball this year. Obviously, uh, the, the new cars are, are fantastic, and the team and I, we've just really found our groove. So, yeah, the first three rounds of the year has been it's been a great start, but obviously we've got a long way to go. So, just hoping to sort of build on that momentum and and keep the year running nice. 
Now, for yourself, the last couple of years, like all the young drivers in the sport, it's been tough. You've struggled to get miles. You know, you sort of started off 2020 and then 2020 happened and then 2021 happened as well. It must have been tough for a young fella trying to forge your way through the sport. For sure, yeah. 2020 was sort of the year we stepped up into Kura Cup. So we were sort of hoping for a big year that year. And then obviously everything got put on hold. And then same thing in 2021. So this year, more than anything, I'm just I'm just loving being back in the car again and, and having that sort of consistent race schedule where we're in the car every few weeks. So for a young driver like myself, that's sort of the, the thing we need the most is just that time in the seat. Um, and now that's happening, we're sort of just seeing like the rewards are sort of coming to us. How are you so freaking consistent, mate? <laughs> I guess, <laughs> like, I'm still pushing my maximum every time I go out, but I guess I just have this process that I stick to. And I got a, a great team of people around me that sort of helped me get in the right headspace before every race. And I guess my approach to, to every race is just you sort of you have to, to finish first or to finish. You Sorry, how do you do it? You first have to finish before you finish first. <laughs> so that's sort of my attitude. But at the end of the day, like we just have to get every lap under, lap under our belt and just sort of focus on every lap of time, just executing everything we need to do and ultimately the results follow. But, but this isn't a new approach for you, Harry, because this was how you won the Sprint Challenge title in 2019. I, I think you finished every race inside the top four, um, uber consistent, even if you didn't win the most races throughout the season. So has this just been the way you've always approached your racing or is this is a mindset that has developed over the years? Yeah, I guess it was pretty ingrained into me from the start. Like, I never really raced in go-karts. So, early on in Formula Ford, it was just about getting those those laps on my belt. So, I guess to, to get the most experience, the, the fastest way possible was to, to, to complete every lap in a race. So, my dad, everyone around me was just telling me to keep the car on the green stuff or on the black stuff and then, yeah, go from there. So, from the driver's seat, what are the differences between the old 991 and the new 992? They're actually a big big change so the basically the, the first thing you feel is just that extra downforce on the car um so you can take the corners a lot faster than the old 991 um another thing is obviously that the better brakes as well so we can break a fair bit deeper um but surprisingly they're not actually as quick in the straight line so obviously with the, the extra downforce there's more drag to go with that so our straight line speeds aren't quite as high um but at the end of the day it's still a Porsche it's still a similar driving style but just a bit more downforce and yeah just a lot of fun to drive do you think they're more relevant to a GT3 style of car in terms of that progression from one mate Porsche racing into potentially GT or prototypes down the road? Yeah, I'd say so. Like the the way that we sort of drive these cars, obviously with that extra downforce, we're almost seeing sort of that aero braking trace as well. Um, and honestly, that took a little while to get used to. Like my first laps in the car is actually quite surprised at how different they were in it. Gave me a bit of a shock to, to realise that I had to throw a lot of the stuff I learnt out <laughs> over the past few years to, to start start from scratch with this new car. But now we've sort of got our head around it. They're so much fun to drive. I think probably the round of the year so far, at least from a punter's perspective, is probably Winton. It was, uh, you know, you had 30-odd Porsches banging around such a short, tight bullring, and it was absolutely on for young and old. And you were right in the thick of the action at the front of the field there. Yeah, for sure. Winton was an awesome round for us. And, it was a track that I hadn't been to in quite a few years. And honestly, it was a track that I didn't know how well it would suit these new cup cars. But after the first practice session, everyone was just having a ball. So yeah, to have 30 cars jammed on that tight little like twisty circuit was a bit of a spectacle. Um, but yeah, stoked to come away with the wind down there for sure. 
Have you had a chance to go and uh, thank Tony Quinn for blocking Dylan <laughs> as he did through turn nine there to give you that chance to have a big run and send it around the outside? I did go thank go say thank you after the race. So yeah, he he uh, definitely helped me out that one. That was a, a great move. Uh, to be fair, that that is probably the move of the season so far. The fact you committed to the outside of turn ten, but. I think Dylan probably deserves some credit there as well because he could have quite easily just run you off the road on corner exit as well. Yeah, for sure. It's quite nice racing these guys at the front of Career Cup. Like they race super hard, but at the end of the day, they also race really fair. So props to Dylan for for giving me that room on the outside. Then he could have easily sort of opened the wheel up and, and fed me off the track. But yeah, obviously what comes around goes around. So, you know, I try and race fair as well. So I sort of get it back to, which is pretty cool. Rolling along to the next one, Townsville, obviously a bit of experience there last year. What are the lessons learned from that that you can translate into this next event? Yeah, looking forward to Townsville. Um, that circuit up there is obviously just a, a bit of a confidence track. So the more you sort of feel confident and comfortable behind the wheel, the, the faster you end up going. So, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll be on our groove this year. So I'm looking forward to getting up there. It's just the first street circuit of the year. So just looking forward to getting amongst it. It's always a pretty aggro round, isn't it? Last year was pretty wild. Lots going on. It's the If there's ever a round where you want to qualify well in Carrera Cup, and that's generally all of them, Townsville's probably right towards the top of that list because it's just so brutal once you get past sixth or seventh in that order. Yeah, 100%. It's actually funny because last year in qualifying, I broke my drive shaft on the first lap. So I remember. Yeah. I qualified last in that one, so I made it pretty difficult for myself, but... Hopefully this year we have a better running qualifying and we can start up the order. But even even last year, we sort of learned that we, we can pass around that track if we're aggressive enough. I think we went from 22nd to 7th or 6th in the first race. So, yeah, just looking forward to getting up there and, and sort of seeing what we got. So looking into the future, where do you see yourself going? Where do you want to race? Do you want to keep chasing the, the GT path, which obviously Matty Campbell's done a great job in, or would you prefer to look after the supercar route? Yeah, I think Matt Campbell's proven exactly exactly why the Porsche Pyramid's so good. So ultimately this year we're focusing on Fair Cup Australia trying to trying to win this championship this year. Um, and if we do so, we get the opportunity to go to that shootout in Europe. Um, and ultimately that, that's where the dream lies. Like my desktop background on my computer at the moment is that Porsche 963. So one day <laughs> I'd, I'd love to be on the Same. grid in the WEC racing that thing. Um, but yeah, to get to Europe, to, to race against the guys at the top over there, that's that's definitely my dream. Harry, it probably speaks volumes for both what you're doing and also for the depth in Carrera Cup that you've been already linked to a few supercar drives and you've done some ride days as well with, with Premier Hire Racing, which must be a cool experience. Do you, do you, how do you filter that noise out though? Because the old motorsport media landscape can be quite noisy about linking drivers to teams and you know, would-be co-drivers or full-time drivers. Do you have any dramas sort of filtering that out just so you can focus on the, the cup car stuff? Um, not really. Like, this year has been, been pretty awesome to to get a few laps in a supercar. Like, to race Bathurst one day is, would be a dream come true. Um, obviously, it's something I've been watching since, you know, I was a young kid growing up. Um, so, to be on that grid would be fantastic. So, yeah, I guess our, our focus this year is primarily on Carrera Cup and, and we're doing everything we can to make sure... We put our best foot forward, but at the end of the day, every every race car we can drive is just more experienced. So, yeah, to get some laps in a supercar always helps some Carrera Cup racing as well. But, yeah, we don't get too caught up in the, the media hype or anything like that, that's for sure. 
Now, my little friend Richard Crail here keeps banging on about how he went to the Indy 500 once. So <laughs> yeah. I got one up over him when I went and visited your dad's shed up on the Sunshine Coast <laughs> once. Now, that has some of the tastiest toys you could possibly ever see. And we've seen you out there in the McLaren, what was it, McLaren M8E. M8E, uh, yeah. Phillip Island. What a beast. Is that your favorite toy in the shed? Yeah, that thing's pretty wild. I drove it to Phillip Island in 2020 and also at time World Time Attack in Sydney at the start of this year. So that car's got something like 850 horsepower and only weighs 800 kilos. And it's got 1970s aero and 1970s <laughs> brakes. So it's a bit of a beast, I call it the death sled. My mum doesn't like me driving it very much, but boy, it's, it's one of the most fun cars to drive, that's for sure. It's very raw. Like there's just so much going on in the cockpit. Um, but yeah, that, that's a pretty cool toy. And he's got some other other pretty awesome cars as well. There's some old Group A cars, a few supercars. Um, and yeah, every time you walk into that shed, you just sort of, your, your jaw drops onto the ground and yeah, it never gets old, that's for sure. Yeah, there's a HRT car in there, if I'm not mistaken. Have you had a skid in that? I have driven the the number 22 HRT. That was the um, Jason Richards car and the, I think, Todd Kelly car that raced at Adelaide um, in 2000, 2007. And he's also got the 2007 champ- championship winning car that Garth Kander drove. So we haven't taken that one on track because it's absolutely mint. Like it hasn't even got a, a rock stone ship on it. So yeah, yeah that one's probably going to stay on the covers in the shed. Um, but we do get the number 22 car out every now and then. The, the one car that I did a story on for the racetalk.com was the Schnitzer BTCC winner. It was. It's great that Australia finally has a British car over here. They keep nicking all our cars. But yeah. we got one back over. Yeah, exactly. That that thing's almost finished its, its uh, restoration as well. So looking forward to getting that thing on track as well. We're definitely going to get that one out and and put it on put it on demonstration to, to everyone to see. So have cars always been part of your life? I mean, clearly they have with what your dad's got going on. But has, is this just is this just common life for you that that your old man's got cool race cars and and you've sort of been brought up around that? Um, it's funny because before. Like it's sort of since I turned probably 14 that we really got involved with cars. Mm. So growing up, I was always like out in the surf, riding mountain bikes, doing doing completely different sports. And it was when I turned 14, dad got a, an old Formula Ford to sort of get back into racing. Um, and it was at the same time that I could get my license and sort of join join him on the fun. So yeah, from there at Snowboard, he, he got that hobby and just fell in love with it again and ended up buying a fair few cars. And then I fell in love with the sport and just progressed through the field as well. So yeah, it's been, it's been a big part of my life for the past few years, but growing up, it wasn't really that big in my life. And you mentioned you, you didn't do the go-karting thing. So your pathway was very different and, and it involved some wings and slicks race cars as well. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, growing up downhill mountain biking, that was sort of my thing that I fell in love with and I was super passionate about that sport. So I guess in, in doing downhill mountain biking, it really taught me a lot about my own headspace, like how to train physically, mentally, and sort of get me, I guess, in that sporting environment before getting into a race car. So all I really had to do when I jumped into a Formula Ford was, yeah, I guess, learn racecraft, learn how to drive a car fast, and then and then progress from there. So started in Formula Ford, moved to Formula 3, did a couple of things overseas in LMP3 and the MRF Challenge. And then in 2019, moved into the Porsche Sprint Challenge. Yeah, that's not bad. <laughs> hey, that was the LMP3 car. Yeah, that thing was so much fun. Like it was, it was when I was racing Formula 3 that I went to Paul Ricard and did a four-hour endurance race in the LMP3. 
and it was surprisingly like similar to drive to the F3. So mm. obviously it's a fair bit heavier, um, but it's still got heaps of power, heaps of downforce. Um, and you're on track with other like GT3 cars, other LMP3s. Um, so that sort of endurance racing was just, yeah, a lot of fun for me. The, the other thing I wanted to speak to you was when you won Sprint Challenge in 2019, now correct me if I'm wrong, not only were you trying to be a professional race car driver, but you were working, I think, at McElroy part-time and then at, at your sponsor at the time, Hilly Mods, as well. And you were completing your university degree as well. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. 2019 was a pretty busy year for me. So <laughs> I've sort of simplified it all this year. So I, I'm just focusing on, on my motorsport, my racing and then for work, I'm, I'm working as a driver coach for my own clients and also doing a little bit with the Porsche track experience I, I still and still studying. I, I think Heli Mods is the coolest sponsor in the history of motorsport. Pimped <laughs> helicopters. How cool is that? Yeah, yeah. That, that was a pretty cool environment to work in. And, and also, yeah, to have their support over the past few years has been fantastic. And a new sponsor this year as well in Hastings Deering. Yeah, Hastings Deering. They've come on board this year. They've been fantastic. And, and they're just doing so much, like really getting behind me and, doing so much in the sport. They're coming to every single event this year and and I'm going up to their Epstone a few weeks' time as well. So it's great to see them just sort of embrace it and join, yeah, just just join in the, on the passion and sort of just love the sport for what it is. All right, tell me how the remainder of this season plays out for you, my friend. You've got a big lead in the championship, but in Carrera Cup, nothing's ever certain because it's so competitive. So what's your approach from here with the halfway point coming up next week in Townsville and then uh, a big finish to the season? Yeah, I suppose we're, we're very early in the season, so there's no need to change our approach so far. It's worked for us for the early phase this year. So, yeah, looking forward to Townsville. Just just trying to, I guess, build on what we've got. Um, we've, we've already know that the car is really strong underneath us. So we just got to go up there, do our thing, um, and hopefully finish, finish out the year strong. Well, you're going very well, mate. You and David Wall are the only two drivers of the 31 that have finished every race in the top 10. So that's a yeah, pretty right. good, uh, pretty good cool stat, stat that yeah, will lead towards uh, good championship finishing positions. That's how David Wall has done it his entire career. And that's been quite successful. So uh, if you're following in him, his footsteps in Carrera Cup, you're doing a pretty good job. Harry, congratulations on the season so far. Best of luck next weekend in sunny North Queensland and uh, look forward to catching up with you there. Beautiful. Thanks, Drowsy. You're listening to On The Grid. Great uh, chat to Harry Jones. He currently leads the Porsche Painter Dixon Carrera Cup Australia Championship. Three rounds in, five to go. Craylon Walker with you. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, Shebeck's uh, having a week off the show. Uh, Mark, Harry, impressive young bloke. In uh, a lot of ways, isn't he? It's good that these uh, young fellows are able to speak well. That's half the drama, isn't it? Yeah. We're, we're, um, overcoming that, you know, one who couldn't speak very well in the beginning was probably Matt Campbell, wasn't it he? Was. Yep. Like I remember, and this is probably aging everyone, but uh, obviously he's the grandson of Bill Campbell, who was the driving force behind Morgan Park Raceway out there in Warwick and Queensland. And I remember him as a real little tacker getting in his go-kart after a state championship meet and just blatting around on the racetrack. And yeah, he would have been five years old then sort of mm. thing, you know, and to watch him go the whole way up through the ranks, uh, you know, he made his national formula Four debut in 2012 when we were doing it. And then, mm. you know, he sort of did the full series in 2013 when you were calling all the action, but uh, to, to see him just progress, it was that first year in Carrera Cup, wasn't it? Just uh, it clicked, didn't it? 
Yeah, I, I wrote a biography uh, about him for the Porsche newsroom and they asked me to write a brief bio and I ended <laughs> up writing 3,000 words, um, quite literally 3,000 words, because it's a remarkable tale. And, and that was most of his Porsche stuff, but didn't even cover much of Formula Ford. Yeah, that like that first, it wasn't, Carrera Cup, his, the first half of his season was pretty ordinary. It, it yeah. wasn't great and it was compounded when when Bill, who was such a big part of his career, passed away during the Adelaide 500 weekend, like his debut in Carrera Cup. He lost his granddad, who was his biggest supporter and, and mentor in his racing career. And he had a really tough couple of rounds. Um, but I, I distinctly remember when it all clicked, which was Sydney Motorsport Park that year. And he inherited the first race win there because Nick Foster got a five-second penalty. Um, Matt followed him home. And then he, he won by half a car length in the second race, and then he didn't finish lower than second in any race for the remainder of the championship. Yeah. <laughs> Smacked home wins on the Gold Coast and Bathurst at the end of the year. And it was that point where I think everyone went, oh, yeah, this this is a thing, isn't it? But yeah, it, it was also yeah, the 12-hour and the McLaren as well. Yeah. Didn't he top a, he topped a practice session early on on a dirty old McLaren? And yep. that was like, whoa, hang on. He was out there with all the pro drivers, and here was little Matty Campbell, and he got the job done. Well, and the word is that, whether it's urban legend or there's some fact, that that was the performance that drew Roland Dane's attention. Yeah. Um, and in 16, Matt drove for Nissan Motorsport, but in 17, he drove for Triple Eight alongside SVG. And it was apparently that performance in the uh, McLaren, in Tony Wall's car, the objective racing car, that RD went, oh, who's this kid? Maybe I should be paying attention. He's actually got some serious serious capability to do the job at Mount Panorama. And it wouldn't be the first time that he did the job at Mount Panorama. <laughs> and that was one of the questions that came up this morning. It's like, are you going to come back and do the 12 hour? And he just doesn't know at the moment, but mm. you, you'd hope and pray that if he gets one leave pass a year, it's for the 12 hour. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's, he's still obviously doing the, the supercars with um, uh, Penrite racing with the Groves, his friends. So that's great. And yeah, Porsche's, like drivers do sort of flitter all around the world as far as uh, their drives go. So there's no clash. The Rolex 24 date was uh, confirmed last week and it is the week before the three to five February weekend that the 12 hour will be on next year. Yep. So there's no clash. So and it wouldn't be the first driver to do the double back to back. Yeah. I, I think if Porsche, if Porsche field an intercontinental GT challenge team, a Porsche cars, Australia will hundred percent be pushing that Matt's one of the drivers and B uh, you'd be mad to not bring him anyway. Cause he's so bloody good at the place. Surely. That uh, 2019 finish oh, just all top. And, and it was for mine. It wasn't even the pass at Forest Elbow. It was the big send it at turn one, the big Carrera cup dummy to the outside, dive it down the inside on Raffaele Marchielli. Yeah, 110%. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. We're uh we're very proud of the young bloke, and it's uh, a cool achievement. The fact that he's known about it for almost 12 months is slightly <laughs> irritating. <laughs> How would you be, though? I oh, couldn't keep a secret that no, long. Not a chance. Not a chance. How good. It was very good because we had him on our On the Grid Lamar 24-hour special, and I did ask him, so is it playing in your mind? Do you keep it in the back of your mind? And he was circumspect enough to play oh, he it absolutely up. lied to you yeah, flat, flat out, out lied to your face well you know a bloke for a decade and he absolutely <laughs> lies to you. 
No, he did. Uh, he did a very, very nice job. Very, very nice indeed. Uh, what else in the motorsport world as we bring this baby home in our mate Shabiki's absence? Uh, uh, did you see the Goodwood Festival of Speed on the weekend? I did see the Festival of Speed. Did you see it, the McMurtry spieling fan car? I did. Holy smokes. Yeah, isn't that the fastest looking race car you've ever seen in your life? Some of the TikToks that have been popping up on my TikTok, because that's the <laughs> TikTok that I'm in apparently, is yep. the ridiculous race car section. Holy moly. This is the problem. When Formula E started, it was so half-baked. The technology was no good. The concept was no good. Everything about it was, it was fundamentally mm. flawed. If this is what electric car racing is, I'm not that opposed to it. Well, that field, was very cool. Well, and the problem is, is that they had Nick Heidfeld was there in the Formula E car, the Mahindra, and it yep. broke. Yep. And it just didn't look particularly fast because then that thing came up and it was utterly wild. Yeah, that... 39 seconds. I'll, uh, Max Chilton said that he didn't sleep the night before. No yeah. wonder. Good yeah. grief. No, I know, because he was terrified of his life. <laughs> Eyeballs are stuck in the back of his head. <laughs> that event looks incredible, though, doesn't it? I mean, mm. just, it's four days now of just insane cars. My highlight was seeing old Nige jump back into yeah, both the Ferrari five. and the FW14, the Red 5, which was amazing. But, uh, yeah, I mean, just... There were even quite well-known racing car drivers on Twitter fangirling, oh, I just bumped into Nigel Mansell. It's the coolest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> but he still fit in them. Yes. that was That's the big thing. Couldn't fit in a McLaren in 95, but he yep. could fit in the old 92. Yeah, outstanding. Having just made, I think, $8 million, having sold uh, an FW14 that he owned yeah, and right. also one of the Ferraris. I'm not sure if they were those exact cars. I think they might have been. But uh, he just Sitting sold those out of his own personal. <laughs> yeah, correct. No, well, that, but that, that's something that we can replicate here in Australia. Like we had Speed on Tweed, which was probably the closest sort of thing when that was absolutely at the heyday in around 2006. They would get a lot of really good cars there. But that's a concept, you know, like the Geelong um, revival that they've got yeah. down there like that has potential to be that it's got a really good festival obviously the adelaide motorsport festival uh getting revived that's got potential to be this sort of feel well, that, and vibe about it no that yeah it's different. yeah yeah it does that that was the closest thing that i've seen not having not been to the festival but 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 you'd have all those cool formula one cars in adelaide like mm. you had that to draw on just as an absolute starting point yeah, oh, 100%. And, you know, they they bought Stefan Johansson and Pierluigi Martini and Ivan Capelli out. And so you had that celebrity draw and you had things like Craig Lowndes driving a LaFerrari, privately owned LaFerrari around the track. And, um, and Craig Lowndes breaking Formula One cars, et cetera. Well, that too. But uh, that that was the bend. But, um, oh, was it? No, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I, I think the festival coming back will be the closest thing we've got. And yeah. and now it's actually got some funding. Uh, I, I reckon that's going to be massive. I know they've got quite big plans for that the week before the Radelaide 500. Uh, quiet weekend on track otherwise, wasn't it? Uh, another uh, NASCAR. 47-hour long NASCAR race that didn't work. Yeah, tough, isn't it? Because over there in NASCAR, you know, we've got problems here in Australia with time certainty where we lost a lap. That was a pretty big problem. Over there in the Everyone States. Everyone up. We lose one lap. They lost, what, eight hours? <laughs> they lost a lot of their day. <laughs> the, the problem over there in the States is that they want to run the races as late as possible to get the best possible ratings. 
But the problem is in the hot of summer in the South of America is that it's storm season and they've had storms so often since they've been moving these races back and it's catch 22. You know, you want 5% more ratings, but you run a really good risk that you're going to lose the race. Mm. And unfortunately it was the first race of the NBC's half of the season. And, um, it really didn't work out well for them because they sort of went away going, well, if we're restarting, we'll be over on a pay TV channel. Uh, and if we don't, we'll be back lunchtime Monday, which wasn't a really good way to no. end that part of the broadcast on the main uh, channel there. And also they're doing things a bit different over there. The pregame and postgame show are streaming. On so Peacock, you yep. need to have a streaming a Peacock service over there, which yeah, it's only $5 a month. So it's not that big a problem, but their NASCAR is obviously biting the bullet or NBC is at least mm. and putting a lot more content behind the paywall for everyone. So that's uh, going to be interesting to see how that season pans out a lot more of their races moving forward uh, on the streaming service was the USA network or something over there. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that works out. Chase Elliott got the win after Toyota absolutely blew the strategy. There was a late safety car, a late caution. They were going to clean up and they all pitted which was a terrible, terrible idea. And they never got back through and uh, chased the ace, got his second win on a concrete surface for the year. And uh, he's got two and locked into the playoffs. Like it. Uh, British Grand Prix is this weekend at Silverstone. So we get back to some races in a decent time slot, which will be nice. Uh, decent always... time slot, an 11 o'clock start. Well, yeah, yeah that's fine. Start. Just because you go to bed at six o'clock at night, I can't help that. Uh, Canada at two o'clock in the morning was distinctly unkind. I hadn't got back from Darwin at that point. Two o'clock. Come on. It, oh, yeah, right. yeah, no, I, I was still. still You've been to Silverstone. I How do you rate it? I uh, loved it. It was great. I love it too. It was great. I was there for the World Endurance Championship 2018. It's just such a beautifully manicured facility, isn't it? It's a bit yeah. like Phillip Island. You get that Phillip Island sort of vibe that it's all just done properly. It's one of the cool. I've called a car race at Silverstone. Good on you, mate. Yeah, it was one of the cool. I call a Schumacher winning a car race at Silverstone. Actually, that was one of the cooler things I've done. Like, that was I, I, awesome. I went to the 2013 British Grand Prix, the the one that all the Pirellis fell apart yeah. on, which was just sensational. We loved that race so much. <laughs> um, and having gone to a few Grand Prix around the world, it, it's all sort of like the V8 Supercar Supercar Circus, where it's repeat no matter where you go it's got the similar sort of vibe about it it's got a similar sort of format and the merchandise and the feel throughout the paddock you go to the british grand prix it doesn't feel dissimilar to going to the australian grand prix at albert park but mm. there's just something about silverstone the vibe there was just sensational the fact that they had a champagne and pim stand rather than a cascade yes. stand that was a point of difference uh the flyovers were awesome and you get over there in Europe and you get the full support program. They don't have the Porsche Super Cup this weekend. They got the W Series mm. is having a run. Um, but yeah, I, I love the British Grand Prix. It's always one of the highlights of the year. And you know, there's going to be a bit of uh, pressure on Mercedes because they're starting to come good. What can Lewis do? Is he in the conversation? Do Ferrari sort their problems out? I mean, it is a track that should suit the Ferraris over the Red Bulls, but um, it hasn't really gone that way lately. Yeah, I'd love to see Carlos Sainz win a race, and I'd love to see George Russell. Saying that for some time now, I have, I have consistently. Uh, I'm, I'm consistent though. I'm, I'm not jumping off the bandwagon, uh, and I'd love to see George Russell beat Lewis Hamilton at the British Grand Prix. I think that would just be an outstanding result for sport and the world. That'd be really good. 
Cool. Looking forward to that. Uh, Supercar still a week away, so we'll preview that in the show next week as we get up to Townsville and start. Is it officially? It's not. It's now officially the halfway point of the season. Ish. Because we we went into Darwin with a twelve round championship and we came out of last weekend with a thirteen round championship. Now that we've con- <laughs> yes, yeah. Now we've confirmed Adelaide's locked in five year deal. PS and uh Sandown and Pukekohe. So we've actually hey, that, added an event. That was good news, wasn't it? It was. Very good news. Big bad Sandown. Love it. Yeah. Right, no, but good good news about the Adelaide side of things too. Didn't that break oh, after the podcast last week? It did, that? yes. Yeah, we got some news in the podcast last week, but uh not quite that. But no, that's five years season finale. And, and it, it, but it fits, I I think. Like it sort of get lost a bit in conversation in Mad March in Adelaide when absolutely everything happens well, it, at the it, same time. It never used to. Yeah. But I think 2014, 15 was when it started just becoming a bit samey. Yeah. Um, which not surprisingly corresponds when the motorsport board was kiboshed and tourism took it over. So it, it did sort of just become lost in the in the noise. What I love now is that you're going to have the Motorsport Festival, then the Adelaide 500. The week after, on the Thursday, is the start of the Adelaide Test Match, which is always one of the biggest test matches of the summer and one of the biggest events in Adelaide of the summer. So it's going to be an awesome three weeks when otherwise not much else would be going on. So it's fantastic. It is how a tourism event like that should work every time. And the weather should be a bit bit better that time of year won't quite be in the mid 40s it won't be in the mid 40s mid 30s <laughs> potentially but at the same time uh, i remember sitting at adelaide over watching the test match a couple of years ago and being rained on so um like anything it could be uh, reasonably unpredictable but uh, good result for the sport uh, let's finish i want to finish on a topic that was brought up on uh with our colleagues at speed cafe this week mark and mm. uh this is a yes no answer and we might we can going to be a good, in, good chat then, isn't it? Yeah, we can go into more depth about this later. Well, we're running out of time. Um, the people listening to this show have better things to do. They ran a poll uh, talking about the fact that there are four potentially wild cards running in the Repco Bathurst 1000 this year. And would punters, and this is a clickbait poll. This is a poll that people will talk about because everybody fires up about this issue. Do punters want to see more privateer entries in the Bathurst 1000 again, or are people content with how it is as a fully professional race? The results as we go to press are yes, almost 90% of 3,800 votes. No, 8%. Are they wrong? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, well, what do privateers add to the conversation? Like it just adds a slow car that potentially crashes and causes a yellow. I agree with you. Is that good? And and I I agree. And we will be accused of being out of touch with what the fans want. But it just, it was great in the 80s and 90s. Absolutely. Because it added so much to the race. But the race has changed. It's not the same Bathurst 1000 that it was in 1995. So I think... You need more good cars at the top of the field rather than slow cars at the back of the field. Yeah. I'd rather see 15 legitimate contenders rather than a 50 car field with three or four potential winners. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But what I think I'd love what Bathurst has become is that if you want to race with lots of privateers, you watch a six hour. Correct. So yeah. 
anyway, there we go. Interesting. Hmm. Uh, we can talk more about that at a later day. Uh, thank you, Mark, for joining us once again. Uh, it's been good to chat with all my friends here this week. Yeah, busy. Uh, certainly hope that uh, Tony Shebeki had a lucky week on his holiday and he will be back uh, in the annex for the show. Next. I haven't been, I've not been thinking about him one bit. No, he did send us a picture of beer earlier, which no. was uh, unfortunate. Before lunch on a Monday. Yeah. yeah, very, very disappointing form from him, which is why we've taken over the show. Uh, thank you for listening as well. Don't forget to subscribe to On The Grid, wherever you might get your podcast from. And we will talk to you in a week's time. Bye for now.